you might think you're going to retire at 65. Maybe just plan on 63 just to be safe. You might think you're going to work when you retire, but you might not actually end up doing that. So it's really important not to just kind of say, hey, you're not on track to retire successfully. Let's assume you work to age 70 because you're probably not going to work to age 70. And if that ends up happening, you don't usually have a lot of choices. If you retire early, you're usually stuck and it's going to be a pronounced loyal retirement. So the key is just acknowledging that the odds are kind of against you when it comes to making it to your retirement age, not making it beyond it. Welcome to Your Retirement Planning Simplified with your host, Joseph Curry, a CFP professional who is going to help you learn how to simplify your retirement planning. This podcast is all about helping you answer those burning questions you've had about your retirement possibilities and making a plan to get there through retirement planning education, resources, and expert interviews. Joe will help you get clear on your retirement vision, how to simplify it, and what you'll need specifically to achieve or maintain your financial freedom. Ready to live out your retirement dreams and create future opportunities for the ones you love? Then let's get started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Your Retirement Planning Simplified. I'm Joe Curry, along with my co-host, as always, Lindsay Wilson. How are you, Lindsay? I'm great, Joe. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I was hoping, Lindsay, maybe you could give everybody an update on your latest acting project. Just, <laughs> I think we keep everybody up to date. So you started yeah. some rehearsals. So what are you up I to? I did. Um, my love of community theater. I'm doing a show called Girl in the Goldfish Bowl at Peterborough Theater Guild. It'll go up in May. So I've started rehearsals for that, but it's wonderful. Great fun. Awesome. And I believe you got to go visit the local setting of the play. Yeah, I went out to Steveston, British Columbia, and it's just a little fishing town with a cannery. So I got to see where the play was set, which was a thrill for me. Awesome. And it was great that you were able to get out of the office and uh, see some friends and have a bit of a holiday over. My first time on the West Coast as well. So yeah, that's great. You definitely spent some time on the East Coast and I've seen them both. Yes, indeed. Okay. So today we had on, I guess I was really excited to get David Blanchett. He puts out so much good content. I follow him on LinkedIn every day. I feel like he's posting something new that I'm learning from all the time. So today we did some rapid fire kind of retirement planning questions. We touched on different types of investments, uh, annuities, alternatives. We talked about portfolio regrets. So for all of our listeners who maybe know what an ideal portfolio for retirement looks like, but they still have that itch to get some crypto or something in the portfolio, we talked about dynamic withdrawal strategies, which is something we're a big fan of, kind of his thoughts on that. We talked about the value of advice and where that fits in and how it's not really probably the investment advice. That's the most important thing you're getting when you're working with an advisor about what you should be looking for. So anyway, we hit a lot of different topics today. It wasn't a really long episode. I mean, kind of long maybe for our standards, but it was about a 30 minute interview and I feel like it's packed with information today. Mm-hmm. So maybe you could uh, just share David's bio and let everybody know who they're listening to. So he's a PhD, CFA, CFP, and the Managing Director, Portfolio Manager, and Head of Retirement Research for PGIM DC Solutions. And in his role, he develops solutions to help improve retirement outcomes for investors with a specific focus on defined contribution plans. Prior to joining PGIM, he was the head of retirement research for Morningstar Investment Management, LLC. And before that, the director of consulting and investment research for the retirement plan consulting group at Unified Trust Company. He's also published over 100 papers in a variety of industry and academic journals. And he is also an adjunct professor of wealth management at the American College of Financial Services. So a man who can really teach us the value of advice. 
Yeah, I mean, it's quite the resume. He obviously has a lot of experience and, you know, he's just on top of the retirement scene as much or more than probably anyone else. So enjoy the show today. I think you'll find uh, a lot of good info in it. All right, David Blanchett, welcome to the show. I was already just telling you before we jumped on here, I'm excited to have you on. I read a lot of the things that you're putting out and it seems like you're constantly putting new stuff out on LinkedIn, which is where I usually follow you. So I'm actually excited to get the chance to pick your brain a little bit and talk about some of the articles and papers you've put out that have caught my interest maybe more than others. So one of the things, especially with markets being down in 2022, I've talked to a lot of clients about or showed a lot of clients is a chart that you put together. And I think the reason you initially put it together was, I believe it was Jeremy Siegel was talking about how stocks are like the perfect inflation hedge or somewhere along those lines. And so you took that and you dug a little bit deeper on it. You put together a nice visual that I really like, really showing the downside deviation or the downside risk of stocks, bonds, and treasury bills over the last roughly 150 years. I think back to 1850, I think you showed. So Maybe if we could just start right there, because most people when they find us are getting close to retirement. In a lot of scenarios, they've just come into some kind of lump sum of money. So maybe they sold a business or there's different reasons why they might have that. But I often see a good chunk of that's just sitting in a bank account. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's all sitting in, you know, we're in Canada, GICs. So I think that's CDs for you guys. But maybe you could just talk a little bit about the importance of having maybe some different asset classes. And when I talk about this chart that's showing those different downside deviations or risks. Yeah, so I think that maybe taking a step back. So Jeremy Siegel has a book that's called like Stocks for the Long Run or something along those lines. And he's a proponent, you know, maybe on one of the spectrum, talking about how when you have more time to invest, you should invest more aggressively. Other people kind of make different suggestions around time horizon and risk. And the point that I make a lot when I talk about investing for longer time horizons is that the risk of every asset class out there increases the longer you have to invest. There's this notion of like time diversification, like whatever. Okay, so like the longer that you hold stocks, the more risk you are subject to in your portfolio. What's interesting though, is the way that the risks of different asset classes have evolved over time. So think about stocks, like yes, stocks are like the longer you hold them, the more risk that's there, but like stocks kind of go up and down over longer time horizons. And so when Jeremy Siegel talks about stocks for the long term, what he's talking about is this effect that exists where this idea called mean reversion where the risk of stocks kind of actually goes down a little bit compared to bond. And so over longer time horizons, stocks kind of become increasingly efficient compared to fixed income. They don't like reduce in risk, but the risk compresses versus owning fixed income. So to me, what that article suggests, especially is when you incorporate things like inflation, it really does make a lot of sense for investors who have a longer time horizon to be invested more aggressively. Yeah, that's perfect. I think that's the key piece that I had missed there when I was explaining that was building in the inflation when you're looking at those numbers or that risk, right? Yeah. So inflation is kind of this like silent killer, right? I mean, people don't often think about it, but inflation, at least in the US, has been maybe 3% a year over the last 100 plus years. And unlike other investments, inflation doesn't like go up and down with the stock market every year. It's this kind of like latent risk. And so when you think about inflation, it's this kind of like longer term effect you've got to factor into a portfolio. And it does often suggest that asset classes like equities or even alternatives like real estate and commodities can be more valuable given their kind of longer term inflation hedging effects. Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. I think that people really don't understand the impact inflation can have over a 30 or 40 year retirement. And back to that point a minute ago about seeing people coming with a lump sum of something in a guaranteed type investment. And their explanation to me right away is, well, I figure I have 30 years and I have $2 million there and I'm only going to take like 50,000 a year out of that portfolio. So I don't really need to get returns. 
because there's enough money there, right? So not so much thinking about how they might be spending a little bit different into the future. And obviously, that's not necessarily a straight line that we keep right up with inflation. And we might talk about that a little later. And that kind of brings me to my next point being there's different ways we can build a portfolio in retirement and different types of products. So obviously, stocks, bonds, treasury bills are one way that we could try to get some growth and allocate a portfolio. But annuities are another thing that might come into play or or help people, especially when they want to have maybe a little bit more certainty into the future. So I just got curious to your thought on where an annuity fits into a retirement portfolio and maybe where it is a really good fit and if there's scenarios where it just doesn't make sense. Sure. So the word annuity is like one of the most loaded terms in the financial advising lexicon, right? Especially in the US. Because the problem is it's really an account type that can do lots of different things. It can be fixed and variable, immediate, deferred. It can be an investment. It can be longevity. So for today's purposes, when I'm talking about an annuity, I'm really thinking about them as a longevity solution. So it's kind of their original purpose, which is to provide income that is protected or guaranteed for life, okay? And if we look at them just from that angle, and I know they can have like commissions, and I'm talking like structurally, like the one thing that they can do that you can't do with a portfolio is provide some kind of lifetime protected income. And that's really valuable because I don't care how efficient your portfolio is. If you live a really long time, you're likely to exhaust it. And so people like myself that research retirement, we usually like the construct of these protected longevity solutions because they provide some form of if you live a long time, you'll still get income. Now, there's different flavors of these products. There's tontines available now in Canada that are more like investment products that provide lifetime income. But I think that at a high level, having some amount of income that is protected for life is both kind of like academically and behaviorally efficient. I think that for a lot of retirees, they have a hard time spending on their portfolio given all the uncertainties around market returns, around longevity. And at a minimum, I think it's important to have your essential expenses covered in income that is protected or guaranteed for life. I don't know what that's going to be, what's best for you, but for those of you that are listening, It's an important question to ask yourself, like, would I interact differently with how I spend money and do things in retirement if I know no matter how long I live, my essential expenditures are covered? And the answer is usually yes. And so like, again, like annuity, loaded term, a lot going on there. But to me, the key is, is just minimizing or eliminating a risk that you just can't do with the portfolio, which is longevity risk. Okay. And so maybe if we continue down that line, specifically thinking about that longevity risk, so I'm thinking kind of like single premium annuity Does it make sense, we were talking about inflation a minute ago, to pay for additional riders like a a cost of living adjustment and also having like, say, joint annuities where, you know, there's that that continuance if one of the spares passes away? So it it can. So annuities can be phenomenally complex, like hurts your mind complex. Like one of the best stories that I have is I read annuity prospectuses all the time and they're riveting, riveting. (laughs) I called up an annuity provider and I talked to their customer service department, and I actually called them twice, and I got like two different answers around the nuances of a provision that dealt with the payout. And I could have called someone at the company, but I wanted to kind of be the average person. It confused me. So just first to be clear, like they often are not easy to figure out. Now, you mentioned one of the simplest annuity types that exist. It's called a single premium immediate annuity or SPIA. Yeah. And in that product type, it's the oldest. They've been around for thousands of years. You trade a lump sum for some income stream that's guaranteed for life, right? So I give the insurance company $100,000. They say, as long as I'm alive, they'll pay me $7,000 a year. You can attach a variety of provisions to the income. You can add what's called a cash refund provision where you get your money back, your premium back guaranteed. You can have it on one person or you can be a spousal writer. You can add these 
cost of living. And I think that on the simpler annuity types, I worry about them less. On the more complex annuity types, I worry about them more. And there's really unique effects to do with like inflation and colas that I think might be beyond the scope of the average attendee here. But sure, when you're buying the right product, it's important to ask this question like, do I understand how it's going to provide me with benefits? And I often worry that a lot of people that have bought annuities don't truly understand what they're buying. So I think that simplicity is actually can be a very valuable thing. You know, like the products themselves can be phenomenal, but I would be lying to say that they all are high quality things that individuals should buy. You've got to understand where it works, why it works, and how it's going to benefit you versus the other options available. Okay. I think that's totally fair. So again, talking about how we're managing our money through retirement to get to the other end without running out of money. If we go back to a more traditional portfolio, I'm curious of your thoughts. I know you've written about this before, but where do dynamic withdrawal strategies fit in for you? The vast majority of financial planning software tools that exist assume that an individual retires and they kind of follow this path blindly for the length of retirement, so 30 years. Yeah. And the problem with that is it's kind of like if you were driving all of a sudden and you were driving towards a cliff, you would usually slow down or you would not drive over the cliff. But it assumes that you just drive over this cliff. You have a thousand different possible retirements or trials and then in every single one of them, you make decisions at retirement and that's it. You follow the path blindly into the future. And people don't do that. We make changes over time. And why the changes are so important is that if you acknowledge the fact that you're going to make a change in the future, it actually changes what you would do today. So I've been talking about dynamic adjustments for at least a decade. And advisors, they always say, well, David, this is what I do with my clients. Like I go in every year, every two years, whatever it is, and I tell them in retirement how much they should potentially change their spending. And they do that. And the point about it is if you can model it and you can model the fact that you're going to make those changes, it can radically affect your decisions right now. Like how much I spend today, do I buy this annuity, all these things. And so I think to me, the larger issue is that a lot of the tools we have today don't incorporate the way that individuals actually adapt over time. And that's a big issue. So I think that advisors are doing this. This is what we see people actually do over time. Problem is we don't see it happy in the tools. And that can lead to, I think, suboptimal guidance around retiree decisions. Yeah, I think that's entirely fair. We talk to people about retirement projection, which is essentially what you're talking about, is great as a starting point, but it's not really a plan. You know, are we kind of in the ballpark, right? Right. Something else you've talked about is like a bridge account. So I think you're generally talking about delaying social security, but in Canada, we can delay old age security and Canada pension plan and get an increased benefit by delaying. So one of the things that we like to do is typically we use a dynamic income strategy or withdrawal strategy, specifically the guidance guardrails is kind of the model that we follow. Mm -hmm. And then unless there's some specific reason not to, we encourage our clients to hold off on that CPP and OAS. So we get that higher guaranteed income for life that's inflation adjusted and all that good stuff. And then we will look at that kind of bridge account. But could you maybe just talk about how that bridge account works what the idea of it is as from getting to where you're taking higher withdrawals from the portfolio to eventually having a higher guaranteed income. Yeah, so I'm pretty well versed in the US social security system. I gotta be honest, I'm not an expert in the Canadian system, but in the US system, I think the Canadian system is similar. Delaying claiming social pension, social security, it is like the best place to get guaranteed lifetime income, right? Yeah. If you look at like the payouts from it versus an annuity, it's far more attractive. So annuities deal with this thing called adverse selection. Only healthy folks buy lifetime income. That's just intuitive. Well, everyone gets these public pensions. And so the nature of the benefits, the way that they're taxed, the way that they're linked to inflation, the benefits that exist for survivors make it incredibly attractive. And so, you know, in the US, I'm a big proponent of 
people delaying as long as they reasonably can. If you get to retirement and you don't have any assets, you're going to claim. I get that. But if you have assets saved for retirement, I believe that there's value in delayed claiming. Now, what it does do, though, is create an additional possible burden on your portfolio. If you, for example, retired at 62 and you wait to claim benefits until 67, you have to fund the entirety of your income for those five years from your portfolio. And then how you do that is you create this idea of a bridge. You can do it. There's tons of ways you can do it. You can buy a fixed payout annuity. You can invest it in a portfolio. To me, I don't have strong opinions necessarily about the right way to fund it versus making sure that individuals are aware of like, hey, I know it's behaviorally hard to kind of delay claiming this pension that you've been paid into for 30 or 40 years. But for most people that actively can make the decision, right? So the key here is you can decide to do it or not. If you're healthy, if you're wealthy, there's a pretty good chance on average it's in your benefit, especially when you think about the decision holistically. I think too often individuals think about things like break-even ages. And the point that I always make is like, hey, like if you delay claiming here and let's say it's a single person and you die, your kids get all your stuff. So all your retirement savings, your house, everything, they get it. And so it's not like if you delay claiming, like they lose all this money. To me, like the really bad outcome is, you know, if you're worried about leaving money to your kids, whatever else, is that you live long enough where you spend everything that you've got and you require assistance from them. That to me is like the opposite of what most people want to do. Yeah. And that can happen when you claim earlier, right? If you claim earlier, there's this possibility you live a long time, you could have had a higher benefit. So yeah, like maybe you delay claiming you spend on your portfolio, but by doing that, you'll always create this minimum threshold of assets that your heirs can receive that you wouldn't necessarily have if you'd claim as soon as you possibly can. Yeah, I think that's perfect. As far as, yeah, how the benefits work, I mean, in Canada, you can take Canada pension plan as early as age 60, delay it as long as age 70. And it basically, when you do the math on FP Canada, did a, a study on this, and there's about 122% benefit increase by waiting from 60 to 70. Yeah. Right. So it's the same idea. It makes perfect sense in most scenarios. Like you said, if you need the money or there's health issues, there's other considerations, but on average, so something else I wanted to touch on is I think everyone has this idea of when they're going to retire, but I don't think that when we actually talk to people and we look at some of the data, we see that not everyone, and in fact, a lot of people don't actually retire when they expect to. And a lot of times it's actually earlier. Yep. So I didn't know if you could just kind of give your thoughts or what you've seen relative to that information. Yeah, so again, I'm pretty well-versed in retirement expectations in the US and you know, to kind of use very basic numbers, about half the people retire when they expect to, about 40% retire early, and about 10% retire later than they expected. Well, the issue there is that when individuals retire, it's not random, it's early on average. And the fact that it's early can have really devastating effects on someone's lifestyle. Like people ask me, like, is there a silver bullet for retirement savings? And I'm like, well, there's not. But if there were one, it would be working longer than you had planned on doing. So if you work longer, you've got more years to save, more years for your assets to grow, more years to claim pension benefits, all these things. If you have to retire early, it can dramatically negatively affect your retirement. And so my one suggestion for advisors, for people planning for retirement is you might think you're going to retire at 65, maybe just plan on 63 just to be safe. You might think you're going to work when you retire, but you might not actually end up doing that. So it's really important not to just kind of say, hey, you're not on track to retire successfully. Let's assume you work to age 70 because you're probably not going to work to age 70. And if that ends up happening, you don't usually have a lot of choices. If you retire early, you're usually stuck yeah. and it's going to be a pronounced loyal retirement. So the key is just acknowledging that the odds are kind of against you when it comes to making it to your retirement age, not making it beyond it. Okay. I think that's perfectly said. 
So something I heard you talk about actually on the Rational Reminder podcast was portfolio regret. So maybe you could just tell us what is portfolio regret and how should we think about that when we're building portfolios? <laughs> I don't know if people know about like cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin, all these things. You know, I'm not really a big fan of the crypto, okay? Yeah. But the fact that people allocate to it, it really made me think about when would it be rational to do so? And one thing that I've seen, so I used to be an advisor if we go back 20 years, individual investors don't always make like rational choices, right? It's really hard to invest and stay invested in all these things. And so, you know, one thing that's really important to acknowledge is that with crypto or really any kind of speculative asset, for some people, not buying it could cause them like significant mental distress if it does well. Like they're going to like beat themselves up. And we've all heard stories where clients like abandon diversified portfolios and go all in on these crazy things because they're going to miss the boat. Yeah. And so I think the idea is understanding which asset classes, which investments, whatever term you want to use are important to you as an investor. And maybe even if it's a bad investment, like it's not sharp, breachy, or efficient, whatever you want to call it, it might make sense to own some of it just to kind of scratch that itch. Because what you don't want to have happen is to have not owned it and it go way up and you feel like you missed the boat and you make irrational decisions. And so I think to me, it's more of this acknowledgement that individuals don't always stay invested for the long term as they're supposed to. They react to the market. And I'm a pretty rational guy. Like, I'm not going to feel bad if I miss out on crypto. But if you as a client are, I think that's where having these side accounts or actually buying things you wouldn't normally do in a portfolio can make a lot of sense if it keeps you on this path of making good financial choices. Okay. The way that we've handled that today, and I'm curious just kind of your thoughts on this, but we've always said, look, when you're working with us, we want to make sure you're going to reach your goals and we don't want to be taking risks that could potentially affect the outcomes you're looking for. But if you have to have a day trading account or you have to have crypto or whatever it is, then we figure out what you need to have to keep you on track for your goals. And then if you need to take a certain dollar amount or percentage of the portfolio, and you want to do that on your own, then that's fine. You kind of take it and do it. That's the way that we've handled it. Do you have any additional thoughts on that? Does that make sense? I really like that. I mean, I think some advisors would say like, I want it all to be well invested or I'm out. And I'm like, I mean, everybody's different, right? People want to do different things. And I think that it's the job of the advisor to help people as much as they want to be helped. And some people like, they describe that itch. And so it's your goal as the advisor to minimize the possible damage of them doing that. You know, I read all these financial columnists. I saw an article, someone said that eating out's a waste of money. Like, that's ridiculous. That could be like someone's most favorite thing to do. I think we all like different things. It's the job of the advisor to understand what someone wants to accomplish, what their barriers are, and build them a plan that not only can they accomplish their goal, but along the way, it's a palatable, worthwhile experience. Okay. I think that's fair. And so kind of along the same lines, you talked about like crypto and some other things there. So where do you see or do you see a fit for alternative assets for retirees or people close to retirement? Just to give you a little more background, I mean, something that we've preached about for a long time is, you know, evidence-based investing. And so we do have some of our highest net worth clients. We have done some alternative investments. For the most part, though, we're building portfolios, globally diversified stocks, bonds, and like high interest savings or things like that. But I am curious... We see pensions buying huge amounts of the alternative assets like infrastructure, real estate, private equity. What are your thoughts on that? Do you see a fit or just in general, I guess, what are your thoughts? So it depends. That's like my go-to response. Right? I think that alternatives is a very broad bucket of things. It includes lots of things. And I like buying alternatives that are mostly what you would call betas versus strategies that rely upon alpha. So like a hedge fund, to some extent, is an alpha strategy that relies upon manager skill. There's high fees there. Yeah, I have mixed thoughts, but allocating to commodities, 
allocating to real estate, allocating to infrastructure. I see those more as like gaining access to a certain stream of returns that could be especially meaningful for a retiree that is concerned about inflation risk. And so the role of those assets, I think, really varies based upon the objective of the investor. But at the same time, it's probably beyond the scope of this now, like this call is, I don't know that the way that we build portfolios often accurately captures the long-term benefits of asset classes like commodities, like real estate as this quasi-inflation hedge. So there's nothing wrong with you know the old school 60-40 balance portfolio, but can you improve it for older retirees? I think you can, but you need to be aware of the additional costs and the risks of doing so. Okay. That's a fair assessment. So we've touched on a lot of things. Maybe we could just get your thoughts on where do you feel advice fits in for retirees. So is there value to advice and how does that fit? So over a decade ago, I did some research that I called like the value of advice gamma. There's like alpha, which is like selecting great investments. There's beta, which is like the market and gamma is like everything else. And like the term itself, you know, others have like advisors alpha through Vanguard and there's like capital sigma and zeta. Lots of fun terminology, but investing is somewhat commoditized now. I'm just going to call it spade a spade. Like you can go online and get good portfolios. What I think people need help with is accomplishing goals, right? And let's just be clear, not everyone needs advice. People need different types of advice. Like there's robot advice, there's online advice, there's hourly advice. I don't know that I have a strong preference like what is the best type. I think the key is creating an environment where every American or every Canadian or whomever they are can receive help when they need it the way that they want it. And I think that that is going to be a great evolution of the industry where we're increasingly moving away from selling you a product. Like when you go to advisor, they're not going to sell you a stock. Like that happens, but it's rare. Like they're going to ideally build you a financial plan to help you accomplish your financial goals. Now, how they do it varies, what they use varies. But to me, like the advice component is so incredibly important. That's where I think advisors add the most value. We just bought a balanced portfolio, 60-40. Like that's probably going to get you most of the way there. But like if you're not saving enough for retirement, who cares? Yeah. Right. If you make really bad other financial choices, it doesn't matter. And so like I see a lot of the future benefit of advisors, not actually with the investment, so to speak, more of with the advice and helping households accomplish their goals. Yeah, I think that's great. I would agree 100%. And we always tell people when they come in, if you're looking for investment alpha, so a performance and that's all you're here for, then you probably shouldn't be here. You might as well get robo-advice or something else and not pay the fee for an advisor. Like, it doesn't make sense, right? Well, I mean, investment alpha is great. Like, it's great to build efficient portfolios, but let's not kid ourselves. You can have the most efficient, kick-ass portfolio. If you're only saving 3% of your pay a year, you're not going to get there. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, other things dramatically dwarf investments. Like, yeah, it's really good to have that on the margin, but it's not going to be the thing that drives the outcome. Yeah, I agree 100%. All right. So I talked at the start how I'm seeing you post all the time. There's a, a million different things like it seems like you're in on or commenting on or watching. So maybe you could just share with us, like, what are you seeing right now that's got you most excited, whether it's something you're working on or just something else you've been reading, but in that retirement space, what are you excited about right now? My primary role within in PGM, which is the asset management group of Prudential, for those of you that haven't heard of it, is to try to get more people to stay in their defined contribution plans post-retirement. And why that excites me is I believe there's this large swath of investors, Americans, whomever, that aren't getting help, that don't have access to great advisors, that need a way to decumulate their wealth in retirement effectively. And so like to me, it's helping more individuals get through retirement, I just think is a really great next step. I think we've done a really good job 
at least in the US, of creating a system that can help you accumulate savings. Yeah. But it's really complicated to draw down wealth and to decumulate and to claim social security. And so I like, again, I'd love for every citizen of every country to have access to a high quality advisor. That's like mathematically impossible. There's not enough advisors out there to help everyone, especially at the level they need help effectively. And so to me, it's creating tools and solutions to help people more effectively have a great retirement. That's kind of my focus. So I think that again, like like we've done a, a pretty good job on accumulation of wealth. It's the retirement stuff I think we still need to work on that we're kind of actively thinking about today. Yeah, I think that's great. I think it is something that we're starting to see more in the advisor space, more and more people focusing on, but you're right. I mean, not every single person can have access to an advisor, it just wouldn't work. So no, that's awesome. All right. So we touched on a lot of things today. I was really excited to have the chat. You didn't disappoint. We got some great insights. Before I let you go, just want to give you a chance to let people know where can they find you? What are you up to? What's uh, the best way to get in touch if that's what they're looking for? The best place to find me is just to follow me on LinkedIn. I do a pretty good job of posting things there. For some reason, like that's like a safe space for me for compliance. And so if you're ever curious what I'm up to, that would be the best place to find me. So it's just my name, David Blanchett. I think there's only one of me on there, at least at this point. So it, it shouldn't be too hard to find. All right, perfect. We'll put that in the show notes as well for anyone looking. I mean, I follow you on LinkedIn. That's how we ended up hooking this up. And you're always putting a lot of great stuff out. So I appreciate that. Sure. I uh, hope you keep it up. And I look forward to see what else is coming out. Sounds good. So thanks, David. Sure. All right. Take care. You too. Investment services are provided through Matthews & Associates Investments of Aligned Capital Partners Incorporated and approved trade name of Aligned Capital Partners Inc. ACPI. Only investment-related products and services are offered through ACPI slash Matthews & Associates Investments of ACPI and covered by the Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Tax planning, financial planning, and insurance services are provided through Matthews & Associates. Matthews & Associates is an independent company separate and distinct from ACPI slash Matthews & Associates Investments of ACPI. Matthews & Associates are not licensed tax professionals, and you should consult with your tax advisor before acting on any recommendations. Thank you for joining us for this latest episode of Your Retirement Planning Simplified. Be sure to tune back in for the next episode. And until then, we're here to help you simplify and succeed in your retirement planning.